Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 210. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Faris Aranki. Faris Aranki has spent over 20 years delivering strategic change for the corporate and non-corporate worlds. He's experienced firsthand the fine differences between strategic success and failure. His work has spanned numerous companies, from global behemoths to small startups, in numerous countries across a range of sectors, supporting them all to unlock strategic success. Ferris came to realize that often what hinders institutions from achieving their goals goes beyond the quality of their strategy. It is their ability to engage effectively with others at all levels and remove barriers in their way. This has led to his passion for improving strategic effectiveness within all businesses and individuals and the foundation of Shiaghetto Consulting. Ferris, welcome to the show. Harlan, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for that introduction. Oh, this is awesome. Shia Ghetto. Tell me about Shia Ghetto. What is the translation for that? And how did you come to choose that? Yeah, as a name. Uh, so Shia Ghetto um, is a Japanese word. And it means it's actually the name for a knife sharpener, uh, the, the whetstone that you might use if you have a set of knives and they go dull. Um, now, uh, why I chose to name my company after a random Japanese word is uh, is a bit um, is a bit random, uh, is a bit uh, fortuitous, but it really came to me. I was struggling to come up with a name uh, for my company, which is all about effectiveness. It's about improving and sharpening the effectiveness of my clients, uh, both at an individual level and a company level. And um, I tried loads of English words. Uh, Harlan. And uh, unsurprisingly, in 2019, when I set up the company, loads of websites involving English words had gone. Uh, so everything I tried, strategy, how, strategy, all these sort of combinations were all gone, gone, gone. So I decided to go back to the drawing board. And I thought, hey, how about if I switch languages? Now, I'm a native Arabic speaker and Spanish speaker. So I was trying a different combination of those words, but I couldn't find anything quite right. In fact, at one point, one of my friends uh, in a test group, I, the, the pub, said to me, I wouldn't go with an Arabic name. They mostly sound terroristy, uh, which, uh, <laughs> um, you know, while not politically correct, is right. the kind of feedback you want when you're trying to give it a name. Anyway, literally a week later, I was, I was preparing some food in my kitchen. My knife went dull. I reached for my own Shia Ghetto. I didn't know it was called that at the time. And I thought, do you know what? This is a great metaphor for what my company's trying to achieve. So I began looking up uh, Japanese whetstones because I had Japanese knife set. And then I lost about four hours of my life because the Japanese are obviously super enthusiastic and they have whole websites dedicated to this <laughs> culture of knives and sharpening. And it seemed a very apt name for my business. Very cool. No, that makes a lot of sense because you're right. It's not the, it's not the big changes a lot of times businesses need. It's just that sharpening that edge. You're doing it, but let's clean it up a little bit, right? Just get oh, yeah. the, yeah. 
Very and often, cool. you know, we might talk about it, but a lot of the stuff I do is not groundbreaking. It's not rocket science as in, it's not new, but it is reminding them and helping them just make that little bit of sharpness yeah. to get back to their A game, um, uh, which then exponentially makes a hell of a lot of difference. Excellent. All right. Yeah, we are definitely going to talk more about that um, as we go forward, kind of find out how you got your start, uh, what you do, who you work with, you know, how you help yeah. them. Um, I've got a, a bunch of questions I've lined up and stuff. <laughs> but before we get started, yeah, um, I have 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Now, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio. Yes. Where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his guests from Hollywood film, TV and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, I have 10 simple questions for you, sir. Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Uh, I'm going to go for a, a, an Arabic word that hopefully is permeated into the Western word, inshallah, which means uh, God willing, but literally means maybe, depending on a positive spin is, yep, we'll do that. But also the negative spin is, no, we're never going to do that, but we'll blame <laughs> for the reason. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Um, I think it's something like, uh, I was going to say routine. Uh, you know, I, uh, I dread having to follow the same thing every day, day in, day out. Um, so I'm going to summarize it in the word routine, but I'm sure your listeners probably have a better word for that. Okay. What turns you on? Um, just, uh, stupid things, asking stupid questions, uh, you know, why does that happen? You know, it, you know, channeling the inner child within me. Why is that happening? Could we not do that a different way? Um, those sort of things. So stupid questions definitely turn me on. Nice. Okay. What turns you off? Oh, um, uh, uh, wheelie bags, uh, wheelie suitcases, Harlan. Uh, not the suitcases themselves, but the kind of uh, behaviors that manifest in human beings when they mm. wheeling one of these seem to take up three times the amount of space, walk at about a tenth of the speed that they normally do and run over everybody in their wake. So oh, we uh, do an entire podcast on that alone. <laughs> yes. Um, that and the, the carts in shopping centers. Where... Shopping trolley carts. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. Don't get me started. All right. What sound or noise do you love? Um, I love the sound of laughter. Um, it's a cliche, but um it is. I, years ago, I started when I was very, very young. I um, ended up selling car insurance on the phone, uh, a difficult job in the best of times. Um, but it's a high volume business and you had to get through calls very quickly. So I developed a way to get somebody to laugh within the first 10 seconds. And if they did, I knew there'd likely be a sale. And if they didn't, I knew I should hang up pretty quickly and get onto it. So nice. for me, laughter has always been the signal of a good meeting, a good relationship and good things are going to happen. Excellent. Very cool. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Probably silence. Because <laughs> I usually fill it. Uh, <laughs> uh, no worries. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Um, very British. Um, sounds like uh, Jackson Pollocks. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it's the, the, the male genitalia bollocks. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, I, I fluctuate between something super serious and, and, uh, stressful, but it probably, it'd be something like a shepherd, um, a lot of time to my own outdoors, um, you know, um, building up a rapport with a, a bunch of animals that, uh, have unconditional love for me. That probably nice. speaks for therapists. Very probably. cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? 
Um, I mean, I've tried a few professions in the past and, um, you know, I, I'm not doing them today for different reasons. Um, yeah, so I'm actually going to reference a profession I did previously, teaching, not because I think teaching is 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 tough, but it's because uh, is, is is not because I don't think it's a good job, but it is incredibly tough. I've been there. I spent five years doing it. I know I, I've literally cried myself to sleep because of tough days. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of respect for people who do it and are awesome at it. And I think we should uh, pr- promote and, and cotton wool those people and give them dedicated. Um, Absolutely. A lot of respect for them. And they're not paid yeah. nearly enough. Not nearly enough. Absolutely. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, mm. what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Finally, we've all been waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) Good job. Very good. All right. Ferris, we're going to come back. Like I said, we're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now. Shigato, a little bit more about what you do and how you do that. That equation you have on your website, right? Success equals. I want to talk about that. And at some point, we'll transition into courage and leadership, right? Perfect. All right. We're going to talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Ferris Rocky. Ferris, thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to, uh, to visit with us. Where are you calling in from? Where are you at? No, I'm in London, uh, England, nice. uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'd love to say it's a beautiful sunny day here, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's London. It's, it's right. London, so uh, <laughs> it's as good as we get. Nice. Okay. Very cool. All right. Like I said, I want to talk more about uh, what do you do? Your website, mm. love your website, and it has an equation, right? Success equals IQ times EQ times FQ, right? Or the intelligence quotients. The emotional quotient and the focus. Now, a lot of people know intelligence quotient and emotional quotient. Those are kind of all around us right now. You don't yeah. see the focus a lot. Tell me about that. No, you, d- you don't. And I think it's a missing part of, of our working uh, or anything we do, right? Um, the ability to focus and give the tasks that you've deemed important the most you can, most focus you can, right? Uh, we live in a world where we are constantly bombarded by distractions, um and how we respond to them and i'm not just talking about your phone pinging every five minutes um there are loads of other barriers to our focus uh from um am i hungry am i cold or hot right and at individual level lots of things float through our mind and some can attract our attention away from the task that we're doing without us even realizing it yeah um, and that, and the same happens for big organizations. You know, they think they have very clear strategies. They have very clear set of activities. And then, then when you go and look at people, you say, well, do you know that people are spending 50% of their time um, trying to, uh, you know, in between uh, meetings that are pointless, uh, fixing a printer that's always broken, uh, all these sort of things that are draining them from really committing to what you've told them is the most important thing they should be focusing on. Right. Absolutely. And you write a lot for medium. 
Com, yeah, right? and I, did, um, yeah. I found one of your articles out there talking specifically about this, about yeah. focus. Um, quoting from the article, you say, imagine that an individual has an equivalent of 100 points of focus that they can dedicate to any task. Unless they have Zen-like concentration, the world around them is set up to suck those points from them. Five points because they're hungry or tired, 10 points because they're worried about family, 20 points because they have other competing tasks they're trying to do at the same time. The list goes on and on before you know it. Uh, they're applying only a minimal amount of their focus to the actual task at hand. Uh, it's like you've been looking over my shoulder. That happens so <laughs> much, but I think it happens to everybody, especially the competing initiatives, the competing things. You know, they get mixed messages from managers that this is critically important, but you have to have this done before the end of the day. Yeah. And like I said, your focus is just scattered. How do you, how do you help people focus in on things? Well, so at a corporate level, at a company level, you know, I, it never fails to surprise me. I go into organizations, they're doing just too much. And, uh, you know, and they call these strategically important stuff, not, you know, in addition to what, you know, business as usual. And I always say to them, look, you know, you, in your personal life, you wouldn't attempt to do 100 things at the same time. So why do you think organization can and should? instead of just doing five things really well or 10 things. Um, and, you know, they'll say all these things. But the real reason is they find it really hard to let go of these yeah. things, prioritize and, and really select. So one of the roles that I do and that my team do is, is to help them do that. Um, now, that's not just going, right, you have to let go of 90, do it, do it now. But you've got to find a way to create a little bit of a distance between them uh, and the activity so that they can see it a little less um, a little more sort of rationally and a bit more. So a classic technique that I use, um, have you ever heard of Pokemon, uh, Harlan? Yeah, sure. Pokemon and, and the playing cards that come with Pokemon. I will turn strategic projects into Pokemon cards. Okay. And I will have senior executives play Pokemon in the boardroom. The reason being, it's a little bit of fun, but it kind of turns it into a card game, turns it into something that isn't so personal and emotional. And uh, what happens is it releases their inner child, but also what it does, it very clearly shows which projects beat the other projects because I'm using their own data and their own fact. And so we'll play the game and they'll say, well, these 10 regularly lose. Why, why, why are they even in the deck? And I said, I don't know, they're your cards, right? So let's get rid of those 10, right? Let's keep playing it. And in the space of two hours, you can help create that separation for a team to let go of at least 50% of their projects. Wow. Um, and you do it in a nice, friendly, fun way. So they remember positively that experience rather than going, you made me give up this. I really, you know, so, so it, it is that, um, and that is very powerful. Imagine freeing yourself up from those 50% of distractions. Yeah. Uh, um, Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> be amazing, right? Um, yeah. Because we all have that shiny object syndrome, right? You're working on something, the phone rings, uh, what do they call it? The tyranny of the urgent, right? The phone yeah. rings, you have to answer it. An email pops up, you have to answer that. And it just, you're distracted so much and it just dilutes everything you're trying to accomplish. So when you're working with teams or um, executives or, or things like that, is that the main thing they're struggling with is focusing in on what's most important? No, every company has a different uh, challenge and, and there will be elements of all these things, commonality, but everyone has a different thing. And a lot of it could be um, the relationships in the team aren't, um, aren't constructive and they're holding back the ability to work together and they're, they're failing to even accept that. Um, or it could be that they're not bringing their best ideas into the room. Um, so they are, you know, I'm a strategy consultant. So I always look at things from a strategy. How does it impact the strategy? So they often just use the same old strategy uh, that they've always used or right. they don't challenge it. They don't, they don't add creativity into their gene pool. So, 
So it's um, that's why I have the three pillars. And, and usually the problem is one of those pillars. Um, and that's where we start the work with the teams. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, strategy is so important. Um, uh, working with my clients, that's one of the first things we do is, do you have a strategy to accomplish this? Well, no, we just do whatever we need to do. It's like, okay, but <laughs> what's, a, and, and I've seen this on, on client projects when I was a consultant too. They say, this is the main thing we want to accomplish. Yeah. But they don't support it with an actual strategy. So everybody's heading their different direction, doing what they think is most important. That'll get them to that. It's like putting people on a, an American football field and say, okay, the goal is to get a touchdown. Go. <laughs> and yeah. they're all out there running around. Some are running, some are kicking the ball, some are throwing the ball. You have to have one strategy where everybody's working together. So you're all, you know, rowing the same direction, right? And, and, and even better, because I was the guy who created those strategies for 12 years for companies. It's even better if everyone believes in it and buys into it. Okay. Because if you have just one person on that team, maybe it's a quarterback in the classic. Yeah. But maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's the left tackle says, look, I've got a strategy. And everyone goes, I completely disagree with that strategy. What are they going to do? They're not going to try their hardest. They're not going to really push. It's one thing to come up with strategy, but that's where the EQ part comes in. Really get people to buy into it. See it as their own ideas. See it as something that they, they love and will do without questioning and just get going with it. See, yeah, you're speaking my language. My background is organizational change management. So we would come in and help get yeah. people to understand, you know, educate them on what the strategy is and why it's so important, how their lives are going to be the same, but how they're also going to change in order to accomplish this and try to drive that uh, desire to to achieve so that they're yeah. all working. Yeah. I, and I, I often talk to leaders about, I ask them, how wonky is your strategy? And uh, they'll say to me, what, what do you mean by that? I said, even if you have a perfect strategy, which very few people do, mm-hmm. you've got to leave it a little bit wonky, a little bit askew, right? Just like Apple do in the Apple store. They put their iPads just a few degrees wonky because the human brain wants to correct them. And as soon as somebody touches it and corrects it, they feel like they, they own it a little bit more. So Interesting. Have you got a little wonky strategy so that your team, your staff, your people on the shop floor go, huh, it's my strategy now too. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And involving your employees. I think that's important. Once you put the strategy out, involve them, talk to them. How is this going to impact your area? How can we make this little improvement in your area? You know, we know we need to improve, but rather than me imposing something on you that goes against whatever you think should be done, you do the work. You're in the trenches here. You know how it can be done. What can we do to improve? Yeah, definitely. Nice. Uh, it's a great philosophy. So I read, um, and I, I think it was on your website, you said you enjoy helping companies solve complex problems. Yeah in a structured manner. Can you give us an idea of one of those complex problems that uh, you were faced with and how yeah. did you break it down to a simple structure and, and solve yeah. it? Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to tell you about a problem that we all have experienced, a global problem. Bizarrely enough, uh, 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago, I was working in the UK on pandemic health really? uh, preparedness. Yeah, I was okay. working for the UK government, preparing the UK in case there ever was a global pandemic. Wow. Well, I think we've all just been Hello. through one of them. <laughs> Hello. Um, so we were preparing, this was back in 2008, 2009, we were preparing the UK. And at that time, it was a quite different response design um, to uh, what we eventually, because because the passage of time passed. But uh, in 2009, halfway through the, our program, there was a, an outbreak of swine flu over in uh, the Far East. And the UK government, in its precaution, said, we think this is it. This is the pandemic. Launch everything you've got. Now at that time I was working, I was pulled onto the vaccine uh, work stream for the UK government, and um, 
uh, at that time, there was one manufacturer in the world who claimed to have a vaccine. Um, and uh, they said, look, we'll produce a vaccine, but you know what? We've only got three factories that can produce it. So very similar to this situation. Um, so we are going to we're going to set the just tell every government around the world, um, give us a sealed bid of how much money uh, you are going to bid for this. Um, and we will allocate uh, volumes based on what you tell us. So there's your, there's your problem. How much are you going to bid was the question. And uh, I was tasked with, the, with, a, with this bunch of other people to pull together within 48 hours, what would be the answer to that question? Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, a great exhilarating question, but very, very scary. So my solution was, uh, let's turn this into a war game. Mm. Right. Let us get a bunch of people around in a room and everybody role plays a different country around the world. So, you know, you Harlan, you be the US. Uh, we'll get someone to play France, somebody play Germany, somebody play... And let's play out how this might work, where we all put in bids and okay. we see what happens. And the first time we played it, it was a very boring game because it's just a simple economics, like whoever bid the highest number uh, won. So I said, well, we're not learning anything here, right? We need to, you know, we've got structure, but we need also creativity in this room. So I went out and I said, get me a bunch of your, uh, of your graduates, your new starters in, this in, in the health service. Uh, let's, make, let's put them in the room. So we put them in the room. Before they got in the room, I briefed them and said, you're going to be a team. And your objective is to beat your bosses. Uh, and, and the first question one of them asked is, can we cheat? I said, of course you can cheat. It's a global pandemic. So they immediately start coming up with whole strategies around, well, let's go and pair up with the US and kind of screw over France. Or let's go direct to the manufacturer and blackmail them. Or let's go and... And so they entered the room and started doing these. And all these senior executives said, oh, hang on a minute. That's not fair. I said, it's a global pandemic. Everything's yeah. fair. We're here Absolutely. developing a strategy. And suddenly that's when the game took off and that's where the the wow. developing strategy really took off because we played that game sort of four times and each time new and creative ideas came out and and suddenly we had an idea of what we would do in different scenarios and different things and you know that is how to take what is a, a complex problem make it fun and engaging a bit like the yes. pokemon but yeah. really get some actual value uh, out in a short space of time love that that is awesome i've heard other studies where they take executives who think they know everything, give them a task, do this. And then they bring in some 10 year olds. <laughs> yeah. You guys do this. Well, while the executives are trying to work within their executive structure and who's the boss and who do I take orders from and how do we do things? These kids are going, Oh, let's try this. Okay. Fill apart. Let's try this again. Okay. Fill apart. We'll try this. And they get done with it hours before the executives because they don't have those rules in place. Yeah. Is that, do we do that? I mean, in corporate America, I ask in a rhetorical question, do we do, do that to ourselves? We, we box ourselves in because of the current knowledge we have and, and, and kind of lock ourselves away from, you know, possible solutions. I think, I think we all do forget in corporate, we do it in our personal lives. We, we revisit the things we've always done because they bring us comfort. They're easy. They're accessible. You know, just ask it all. It, and all it takes is to flip it around. Say, what would I often say? What would the, uh, my arch enemy do? in the same position, right? It's a simple technique. Or what would an even better version of Faris do in this situation? Yeah. You know, two, two slightly, you know, similar but wacky questions that bring different answers to my head. Oh, sure. maybe I should, right? Um, and yeah, uh, you know, don't get too comfortable in your own ideas. <laughs> exactly. Very cool. So when you're working with folks, are you working with just the executive or you're working with their leadership team or the company? How do you, how do you work? Uh, yeah, generally I work with teams. Uh, you know, there is a senior person there, but it can stretch all the way across the organization. So I like you it, it dip my toe into a lot of change uh, um, 
work, which obviously involves wide cross sections of businesses. And yeah. um, what I find in a lot of companies is um, even if teams are working well, uh, they, you know, the relationships in between between two different teams can always be better. And that often is where stuff comes unstuck that really um, sure. slows down the delivery of strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. We tell people, you know, we show a, a, a process flow chart. It's not the boxes that are going to give you trouble. It's the arrows between, because that's the yeah, handoff yeah, between yeah. this person and this person. That's usually where things fall apart. Yeah. Uh, um, I can tell you a great story of a, a, a big manufacturer, a, a big uh, consumer goods company that I'm working with, where they have, um, they identified after a lot of pain, you know, they identified that they had a, well, the problem they had was they have a lot of excess stock. Okay, across certain products. And they thought this was a problem to do with their forecasting ability and their their processes that they left them with a lot of stock, but they invested in trying to fix that. That wasn't the problem. So then they actually realized that the problem came down to a crucial conversation every month between two different departments. Okay. One was the supply chain team, the guys who are all very analytical and they modeled exactly what volume of each product they needed. Right. And then the other team was the sales team. So at the end of each month, the, the, the supply chain team would model a number, let's say it was a hundred. They go and talk to the sales guy. The sales guy would look at the number and go, 100, I can sell 1,000. Let's make 1,000. And because the sales guy was an extrovert and a dominant character, they'd always make 1,000. What happens? He only sells 100 because the, the forecaster is actually very good at his job. But they then have 900 extra boxes of this. They have to buy warehouse space. They, a lot of it goes off. Um, and uh, you know that's where my, me and my team came in. We fixed that relationship nice. because you know it's amazing if you don't have... EQ to see that parties are not getting on and it's crucial to the business. You can, you can spend hours throwing money at lots of different other solutions. Exactly. No, that's so crucial. Yeah. Uh, we used to do a thing called a, a pro map or a process map where we would take the company and lay out like a game board. You had yeah. game pieces moving around, but from the time a customer orders something all the way through the manufacturing process, delivery process, and we'd get people in the room and they'd kind of, you know, move along the board and read little cards out and everything like that. And somebody goes, wait a minute, you guys use that information? Cause we just put, you know, junk in there just to fill in the blank on the screen. Cause you can't go past the screen until you put something in there. So we'd put in gibberish. They go, yeah, it's <laughs> crucial for us, which means we have to go research and find out what it is. And it, it solved a lot of issues. Once people talk to each other and find out, Oh, that's why you need that. I can help you, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely crucial. Good stuff. So the, we talked about the leaders you work with. What do you look for in a leader? I think, uh, I mean, there's different styles of leaders, right? It depends. Uh, I always talk about there's um, three types of leaders generally that you see. There is the charismatic leader, you know, the person who everyone follows. There's the technocratic leader, the person who knows the most about a, a, a subject. And there's the hereditary leader. Uh, you know, my dad was the boss or I've been groomed for this role. <laughs> Um, and each has a place, you know, and, and but here's the thing. Teams need a different kind of leader at different times. Usually they gravitate to the opposite of what they've just had, particularly if things have gone badly. Yeah. Um, but I think what unifies any great leader is um, an ability to communicate, you know, um, and uh, really display the message and a humility to listen, you know, mm. pound for pound, the best skill any of us can have, whether we're a leader or not, is our listening ability. And we should all work on that. Um, they don't need to know everything, um, you know, it's, a, but they need to be able to get the information and to sure. inspire. Them. So that for me is at, at the most simple is what makes a great leader. Nice. 
Very cool. Um, so before you started strategies and stuff, what was your background? What did you, what were you doing before? Well, I kind of alluded to it. I started my career as a school teacher. I used to teach high school math and economics. Um, I then moved into the business world, uh, working for a large uh, utility firm here in Europe. And uh, I sort of worked around that business, saw all parts of how do we sell to the customer, how do we generate the electricity and, and gas and oil and that sort of stuff, and then end up in the strategy team, sort of taking a global view. And that's when I got interested in strategy and moved over to being a strategy consultant, um, which uh, involved working around the world, uh, developing strategies. But that's where I saw the missing part was you can have the modest idea in the root in the world, but if people don't buy into it or aren't taken on the journey, then um, it won't go anywhere. And actually, in hit, you know, 12 years of doing that, 90% of the work I did is probably just a very expensive paperweight. <laughs> I hear you. All right. So we talk on the, the podcast about courage. Um, and there's different types of courage that we tap into as leaders. Um, intellectual yep. courage is the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and the knowledge you currently have to make room for brand new knowledge, even if it comes from a subordinate, because that can be scary for some bosses. Um, the emotional uh, courage, you know, to be able to set aside your emotions, make room for somebody else. Um, there's moral courage. There's, there's social courage saying what needs to be said when it needs to be said, even if it's unpopular. Um, what type of courage do you think is most important for a good leader? Um, I think the courage to, I mean, all those things you said are amazing. I think, but I'd sum it up is the courage to face your fears. Mm. Okay. Uh, you, uh, it's easy to play to your strengths and you probably yeah. do use it as a crutch and you can mask your, your fears and your weaknesses most of the time, but there will come a crucial time when you need that, you need to rely on them and it will be an underdeveloped muscle. Yeah. So I long ago braced them for myself, which is run towards the wrecking ball. Um, so because it may be really painful there and then but in the long run if i do that more regularly i won't be scared by the wrecking ball and i will have developed some of the muscles that i kind of just let get flabby along the way nice i like that run towards the wrecking ball my wife used to say the only way to to uh, overcome your your monsters is to face your monster right mm. that's essentially what it is very cool um in your your past working with with leaders um is there somebody that stands out that kind of illustrates that leadership style, that fear or the uh, overcoming that fear? Yeah, I've had some great, great leaders uh, that I've worked with in the past. Um, I think uh, particularly, you know, I think we're shaped very early on in our careers uh, the most. And um, I think back to some of the great heads of department, one in particular, great head of department uh, that I worked for in my teaching days, actually, uh, who I both learned a lot from and reference a lot. Um, and, you know, they weren't doing anything glamorous. They were heading up a, a math department in a, in a fairly tough school. Um, but their ability to keep together, uh, which at times was uh, a bunch of people who were at their, their wits ends were, were, you know, quite stressed uh, the majority of the time, keep them not just together as a team, but kind of a, a, a sense of enthusiasm throughout that team and always seemed to have an answer that was, was very inspirational for me. Nice. Um, do you have a team right now or? Yeah, you... I do. I, I do. I have a team of freelancers. So okay. um, I, I lead them and that adds the added added challenge of, you know, none of them are permanent. None of them, they can all 
just turn around the next day and say, we don't want to be here anymore. Sure. Um, but uh, I love that dynamic and I love the fact that they're doing other stuff and bring new ideas into the room. Nice. So if I was to bump into any of those folks on the street and ask them about your leadership style, yeah, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Terrible. Get away from it. No, okay. um, <laughs> they, <laughs> um, I think my leadership style has changed over this and, and they, um, I think they'd say, you know, very approachable, um, um, will always um, have a solution, but will ask us first, what would you do in this situation? Um, and um, and then uh, fortunately, with this particular team, the majority haven't seen my tough side, but uh, uh, if needs be, can, uh, can sort of bring that to bear, but generally is the kind of leader who, who leads with curiosity and a joke first, um, and then only gets serious as and when is needed. Nice. Very cool. So what's next for you? I mean, you've accomplished a bunch. Do you have, uh, do you have anything on the horizon coming up this year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of going and I'm very excited for the year ahead. Um, both from a, you know, particularly from the business point of view, we continue to grow. So we only, I only started this business three years ago. Um, it's continued to double in size every year. Now that's, that's not the ambition, you know, you just linking back to what you said about the team. There's only mm -hmm. one metric measure in this business Every Friday afternoon, I ask the team, how much fun have you had this week? Um, and that, for me, is the main reason of having a business is fun, uh, learning, excitement. So, so yeah, I'm going to pick up some new clients this year. I'm going to do some new kind of work and, and do some new types of things. Um, but that's, it's that funder, yeah, underlying metric and, and sense that I'm super excited about for 2023. Very cool. And uh, where do you find your clients? Do they reach out to you? Do you go to them and present? Um, so we're still at a stage where I'd say about, uh, 80, 90% are my network that I reach out to. Um, but we're beginning to reach a point where we get a few knocks on the door, which is incredibly nice. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, long may that continue. Absolutely. And so if, if you've got somebody out there listening to the podcast, hopefully a lot of people are listening to the podcast. Inshallah. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're thinking, wow. Uh, I'm struggling with this type strategy, right? Yeah. What, uh, how can they, how can they get started with you? How can they find you? Do you have a website you can send them to? Yeah, I have a website that you, you, you kindly referenced before. It's uh, www.sheerghetto.com and Sheerghetto is S-H-I-A-G-E-T-O. Um, and the other great place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time there. Look up uh, Faris Ranke and uh, come join the conversation, send me a message and uh, look forward to hearing from uh, as many people as possible. That'd be great. Do you do any work over here in the US? I do. I do. Um, so my work has brought me to the US and I have a couple of clients there at the moment. So, um, uh, you know, uh, any excuse, I, you know, I used to visit the States a lot as a, as a kid. I've got some family there. So it's always been a place close to my heart. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, if you ever need any organizational change management help over here. Let me know. I would definitely Brilliant. love to work yeah, with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes, a lot of good information here. Definitely check out the website, check out that equation and think, where am I, where am I lacking, right? Is it the, the intelligent quotients, the emotional, or is it that focus? Because I have a feeling it's probably going to be focus. Um, but yeah, check out the website and I will have the links to your website and links to uh, your LinkedIn profile. And also that article that we mentioned that you talked about on medium.com. I'll put a link in there for that too. And they can check you out. All right. 
So again, Ferris, thank you so much for taking time out today. Really appreciate your time. Alan, thank you and uh, take care, everyone. Absolutely. All right, people, make sure you share this with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>